Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money. We look at the stock market and the impacts on it, legislative updates about legislation concerning your money, things you need to be aware of going on in Washington, D.C. In the Plan Your Prosperity section, we look at different financial planning topics. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy section, this is your opportunity to ask me a question. So you can either go to the Ask Peggy Facebook page or you can go to my website, PeggyDoviak.com, and on the contact page, there's a place that you can send a question. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update. This is for the week ending November 9th, 2018, and it was a good week for everything but gold and oil. The Dow closed up 2.84%. The S&P 500 closed up 2.13%. The NASDAQ even managed to close up this week. Remember, the NASDAQ's been in correction mode for a while, but it went up 0.68%. Gold went down 1.97%, and oil had a pretty bad drop of 4.76%. No doubt the stability of finally getting past the midterm elections gave the markets some relief, so that the Wednesday after the elections, we had a relief rally, huge stock market rally, did a good job giving us a positive week, even though Friday actually closed down. So we're going to look at the the election and the impact that it may have had on where the markets are going to do, but we're going to talk more about that in the next section, the legislative update. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I was doing some reading over the weekend to see what other minds were thinking about the impact of the midterms on where the market's going to go from here. And it's always sort of nice when you read something that confirms the bias you already had. But I do think that from a political perspective, you know, I was hearing on Wednesday because, of course, um, every day the financial news has to explain why that day's events are occurring. And sometimes what they put out that day is absolutely opposite of what they had put out the day before or even opposite of what they put out in the afternoon. So you have to understand that when you're looking at something that is as volatile as the stock market, that people are always looking for the things that made what just happened happen and try to make it make sense. I am not honestly a huge believer that the market likes divided government. And once the dust settled a little bit and people got over the huge stock market rally that we had on Wednesday, it was actually the biggest midterm election rally since 1982. 
And if you remember, the 1982 midterm was two years into Reagan's first term. And again, it was Republican control being replaced by Democratic control and again, divided government. And that caused the markets to rally. Well, this was the biggest rally since then. So no doubt the markets were relieved about a few things. However, I am not convinced that the markets are crazy about divided government unless somehow that divided government could lower the risk of the tariffs. You know, it seems like that's all I talk about, but certainly right now the tariffs and the potential for tariffs is the biggest new, really unexpected issue that we're having to cope with here over the last couple of years with the market. For the most part, the market has blown it off, thought it probably wouldn't happen, but every time the market has become convinced the tariffs were really going to occur, it's gone down noticeably. Now, some of the tariffs have been in place for a while, and we're beginning to see impacts like within the soybean community. Now, no doubt there's a long distance from a soybean farm to Wall Street, but we will have to watch and see whether or not um, these tariffs back off before some of them really become a huge issue. And then there's always the possibility that they get worse. So possibly a divided government will help tamp some of that back, although so far it's all been being done unilaterally from the executive branch, so I'm not really sure it's going to make a difference. The other issues that the market needs to deal with is the rising interest rate environment. There's no doubt that rising interest rates are a little bit of a headwind to the market. But remember, people have been faulting the Fed for leaving the rates artificially low for so long that now that we are starting to increase them, Everybody's panicking slightly more than what I think is appropriate, and I really would like to see us get back to an interest rate environment where if we had something truly unexpected, the Fed has room to grow. Another headwind for the market could easily be corporate earnings not sustaining their pace of growth that they've had. Remember that corporations have had everything but the kitchen sink handed to them, and so there's been like a goosing, if you will, effect, a um, an elevated sense of corporate growth that no one thinks is going to last. In fact, some of the more pessimistic reads say we could be in a recession by 2019. Now, a recession defines economically as two negative quarters of GDP growth. I'm not sure I think we're going to get that far. I'm also not sure the people who are using the word recession even know what it means, but no doubt corporate growth is probably not going to continue at its current rate. There's also some people who have said, well, the market's gone up so long, it's just bound to go down. I really don't agree with that either. Markets go down for a reason. They go up for a reason. They go down for a reason. To say that the market is tired of going up and is just simply going to go down, probably not accurate. But if you had lower growth, higher interest rates, and bad results from tariffs, that could be the thing that could cause the market to go back down. 
In any case, those are the non-directly political reasons that might guide the market for the next couple of years. Additionally, of course, we could have all kinds of controversy within our government. We could have an impeachment. We could certainly have hearings. There's an expectation of indictments. Now, what will that do to the market? You know, really, that's anybody's guess because President Pence would not undo most of the policies of President Trump. I mean, assuming it got that far, and really, I don't think it gets that far. But if it did, other than the initial, wow, gee whiz, boy, that was rough moment, I'm not sure that I think that the markets wouldn't be just as happy with President Pence once the dust settled. In any case, we'll watch all of that and see what's going on. Now, the second big issue is what happens in banking. And this could get really interesting as Maxine Waters is now going to be um, the new chair over finance. And there's a lot of things. Um, so she's going to be the chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee. That's her official title. I had to find where I'd written it down. And remember, certainly the banking world has just loved the Trump administration. And there's a very big sense that some of the banking deregulation that has either gone through or is going through is going to be slowed somewhat by um, Chairwoman Waters as she kind of puts a little bit of a break and says that, no, the banks need to be accountable to the people. And she doesn't see any real reason not to shame banks by announcing when they fail their stress tests. Remember that it really was the banking world and banking behavior, along with the real estate crazy bubble that we had in 2008, that caused the issues. So having a little bit of oversight over the banking community has been an, out, an, an outcropping from what happened in 2008. I think having more oversight over people is a good idea. I know banks need to be able to function, but I'm not sure that they need to be able to function in a vacuum with no one saying, hey, wait, I think you actually need to have a little bit more accountable, about accountability and say what's going on. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity section of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today we're going to talk about capital gains tax. Remember last week we talked about income tax. Well, this week we're talking about capital gains tax. Capital gains tax is tax that you've paid on something where you've made money in a passive situation. Where income tax is money that you've made through your activity, Capital gains tax is money that you've made simply because you've owned something that's made money, but you didn't actually have anything to do directly with the fact it made money. That's kind of an easy way to begin to break the two pieces apart. So what sorts of things do you have that would have capital gains tax? Well, if you have investments that are not in a retirement account, 
When you sell those investments, they're subject to capital gains tax. So let's do a quick comparison here so that you understand really what I'm saying. Let's assume that you have an IRA or 401k or some other kind of retirement plan, maybe an annuity that was funded in pre-tax dollars. Okay, the only time you pay tax in those accounts is when you take money out of them, when you take a distribution, and then that tax is income tax. Because all that money was put back in pre-tax dollars, it never had income tax paid on it. If you have an investment account that you've funded in after-tax dollars, just a plain old account in your name, probably in your name or jointly with your spouse's name or a transfer on death account, these accounts are subject to capital gains when you sell an investment. So you don't wait until you take the distribution out. You might sell the investment and leave the cash in the investment account to be invested at a later date. Nevertheless, it is the sell that triggers the tax. The capital gains tax on most investments is 15%. Now, other items that can be subject to capital gains tax or if you own collectibles or if you own rental real estate, when you sell that rental real estate, you pay income tax. When you sell the collectible, you pay income tax. Those tax situations are pretty unique to themselves. I would recommend you talk to a CPA. I don't want this to turn into a laundry list of, and here's your tax bracket, because that's not very fun radio. In any case, you would pay tax, but probably at a higher rate than the 15% that your investment accounts pay. Why is it higher? Well, it's higher because if you've got a collection of baseball cards You can manipulate the sale price a lot easier if you're trying to let it go at slightly below value so that you don't have to pay as much tax. Now, I know, why would you want to do that? You want to sell it and make as much money as you can. Still, you can tweak that sale price. So as a result, because they assume, the IRS assumes you've sold that account for less because you didn't want to pay more tax. It just taxes you more for the gain you report because it's afraid you didn't report all the gain. So it's kind of a game between you and the IRS, and you just have to pay it. If you've opted for that kind of investment, that's just part of what you have to do. On the other hand, if you just have plain old stocks and bonds and mutual funds and ETFs and even things like commodities, oil and gold, they have a price they set every day. In fact, a lot of these securities have a price that changes by the second and it's all instantly priced. And there's no wiggle room. It's not like you can call your broker and say, hey, I want to buy Apple stock, but I only want to pay 90% of it because I don't think it's worth that much you won't get the Apple stock. So because the price is set and because the price is whatever the market's determined, that capital gains tax rate is 15%. There's a catch though, and this is really important. So if you've dozed off because this is boring, I want you to wake up really quickly here. 
If you are in the 10 or 12% income tax brackets, and I know you're thinking, oh yeah, those are those low brackets. I'm not in those. I make too much money. I want you to look at the tax brackets to start out with because after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, one of the things that did good was it lowered everybody's tax bracket, especially for um, the lower income. You're still doing really well, but, but you're not making a huge amount of money. It also really helped the people who made tons of money. Upper middle class, not so much help. But if you might be in the 10% bracket or the 12% bracket, you don't have any capital gains tax at all when you sell your securities. So here's the other side of that. If you're going to have a year and you don't think you're going to have much earned income during that year, especially for the next, you know, several years while the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is still in effect, that might be a really good time to harvest some of that capital gain and not have to pay capital gains income tax on it. So this is a joint conversation for your CPA and your financial planner to make sure that you're structuring this but it's something to be aware of, and there's a very good possibility you might not have to pay capital gains tax. It really matters because if you can sell the assets, or maybe you've got parents who have a taxable account, and you know they're retired, you know they don't have a lot of income. If they need money, this is a really good time to sell things without having to pay a lot of capital gains tax on it. Now, if you sell an asset that you bought within the year, then that's subject to short-term capital gains rates. Short-term capital gains rates are, are the same rates as what you pay in income tax. So if you have something that pays a dividend or you have something that pays interest, those dividends and interest payments are typically um, issued more than once a year. And so as a result, they're subject to short-term capital gains. If you trade a lot, so you buy a stock, you sell a stock, you buy a stock and you sell a stock, in addition to potentially not being a great trading strategy, you're also going to always be inside of those short-term capital gains rates. So everything I just told you actually doesn't work. And you'll want to, again, talk to a CFP, a practitioner, a CPA, see whether or not you want to change your strategy so you can take advantage of some of these better rates that are available at least for a while. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I'm Peggy Doviak. And so in this section, we answer questions that either I'm commonly asked or that people send in. So please, if you have a question, don't hesitate to go to the Ask Peggy Facebook page, or probably better is the PeggyDoviak.com website. I'm sort of migrating the questions to that page, although the Ask Peggy Facebook page will still work. So the question for today is, Peggy, what do I need to do by the end of the year for my finances? 
And I understand that we're still in the middle of November and the holiday season hasn't really kicked up into full gear yet. And that's exactly why I want to talk to you about this now. While maybe you're still listening to the show or the podcast and you have some time before the holiday crazies set in so that you can get everything done by the end of the year that you need to do. Probably the biggest disastrous mistake you could make would not be taking a required minimum distribution that you needed to take from a retirement account or from an inherited account. If you are over 70 and a half or you have inherited an asset that's still in pre-tax dollars, so maybe you inherited someone's individual retirement account, you have to take money out every year according to a schedule that's set up by the IRS. Now, the good news is the investment account custodian probably has already calculated the amount of RMD for you and may have automatically taken it out for you at some time earlier in the year. This is a question worth asking. If you don't remember getting your required minimum distribution, and if you still think you might need to take it, you should at least call your custodian and have them help you sort through your transaction records to make sure whether or not you receive the RMD. They might be waiting for your instructions. So if you haven't called them yet and told them that you wanted the RMD, then you need to go ahead and do that. If you fail to take a required minimum distribution, the penalty is 50-50% of the amount you were supposed to take. So if you're supposed to take $3,000 in RMD and you don't do it, then you have to take the 3000 and you have to pay a penalty of 1500 So very quickly, this becomes unbelievably expensive. Don't make the mistake. You've got plenty of time to get it done. Just go get it done. Now, this year, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act dropped the deductibility of medical expenses back to 7.5%. You might remember that it had been 10% for the last few years. It was 7.5% to my mind forever, and I realize these numbers do change all the time, but it had been 7.5% for a number of years. It moved up to 10%, but it has now dropped back. So this means if you're close to having enough medical bills to deduct, you might try to get one or two more things done by the end of the year, like getting glasses or hearing aids or maybe a scooter, um, you know, a wheelchair scooter or maybe a wheelchair. So doctor's appointments, anything where you think you're going to get a bill that your insurance isn't going to pay, try to bulk that up if you're really close to seven and a half percent right now. If you're paying for long-term care for yourself, that also will count into your medical bills. Now, I've got to give you a word of warning. The other thing the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did is they doubled the standard deduction. So if you're single, your standard deduction is now $12,000. And if you're married filing jointly, it's $24,000. So you may have trouble 
reaching the deductibility threshold. You may not have quite enough deductions to itemize every year. Really great advice that I've been hearing is consider bulking up your deductions in a year so that you actually get over that threshold and then take the standard deduction the next year. So you try to weight as best as you can everything into a year so you get the benefit of itemizing and then the next year go ahead and take the standard deduction then the year after that flip back you know at what point does the tax cuts and jobs act actually go away well right now it's it's scheduled to go away in the early 20s i don't know we're just going to have to wait and see for right now you've got to play with the game you have but especially since they're limiting the state and local tax deductions to $10,000, a lot of people aren't making enough money to itemize. So don't bulk up a whole bunch of costs that you're going to have to pay out of pocket thinking you can deduct it on your medical and then not be able to deduct it on your medical because your bills were still not high enough. So be really careful with that. Maybe work with a CPA here at the end of the year to be sure that you've got everything under control. Any charitable deductions that you're making to get tax credit for 2018 have to be made by the end of the year. I think the fact that we can deduct our IRAs in April of the next year makes people think, oh, well, as long as I get things done by April of 2019, I'm good. No, your charitable donations have to be made by December 31st, just like your RMDs need to be taken by December 31st. Also, remember that to take a charitable donation, you have to have a receipt. So all those great bell ringers out in front of all of the stores, yeah, absolutely, I'm a big fan of giving them money. However, if you're wanting to make a major donation, put a check in that bucket rather than putting a large bill so that you can take the deduction on it because a $100 bill is not going to give you a deductible donation, and the charities can cash checks just as easily as they can take cash anyway. In fact, in some ways, they might even prefer checks because it gives everybody a tracing and a record as to what's going on. The other big thing to check are any use-it-or-lose-it benefits that you have through your employer If you have to use up a benefit, like maybe some pre-tax health money, you still got some time, but again, make sure you use it because you don't want to lose that money at the end of the year. You want to make sure that you take advantage of everything so that you get the highest possible deduction that you can. So be cautious, be careful Go ahead and make some lists and check them twice and make sure that you're taking all of the deductions that you can and that you're handling everything as best you can so that your taxes are easy. And call your CPA now because they really don't want to meet with every single client that they have between the week, between Christmas and New Year's. So be kind to your CPA. All right, in the last closing minutes here, I really want to say thank you to some people. This is the last live show before Thanksgiving. Next week is a Best of Peggy episode. So I want to thank, first of all, Mary Francis and Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM in South Central Oklahoma. 
Mary Frances, I'm so grateful for the opportunity you've given me to put this show together. It's so kind. It's so lovely. I've had a wonderful time this year doing it. And thank you for your kindness, your generosity, and thank you for believing in me. But having the ability to do a show doesn't do you any good if you don't have a um, a studio and you don't have someone who can produce. I know people are doing this on their own, but man, I'm not great at that. So huge thanks to Sports Talk Radio, owned by Randy LaFoon, and to TJ, my amazing producer, who makes me look great. And when I screw things up, he splices it together so that I don't sound like an absolute fool on the air to you guys. Thank you to Tracy Gray, who's done so much work helping facilitate everything with me here at Sports Talk. It's so appreciated. I'm very grateful. I always focus on the word prosperity because prosperity is, at the end of the day, usually not money. It's our family. It's our friends. It's doing what we love. It's being with people we love. So I wish you prosperity this Thanksgiving. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.